0: chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Hear now God's Word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And thus far the reading of God's Word, and all God's people say
1: Amen. We began our consideration of this text last
0: week focusing on the first reason for a wife's submission to her own husband. This notion of wives submitting to their husbands has become an increasing, increasingly odious notion in our postmodern world. Of course, people have detested the whole idea of submission from the beginning, starting with. Submission to God Himself. Rebels are often the heroes of our culture. But we're not surprised that the world hates God's order. Christians stand opposed to the current disorder. And we are laboring to establish the Creator's order. The antithesis could not be greater. The first reason that we were given in this text for a wife's submission is that it is a matter of nature. For the husband is the head of the wife. The original order and ordinance of God made it so. First Adam, and then Eve. We come now to the second reason, which tells us that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So this builds upon the first reason... It adds a deeper theological dimension for us to consider. The title of the sermon today is Mystic Union. Our doctrine of the church, or what we would call ecclesiology, is vital at this point. We don't just study theology because it's an interesting hobby or curiosity or a special interest. We study it to understand what God thinks and what God says about any Particular topic. And so when it comes to the church, the church is his creation. The church is this place where God brings his people, calls them out of the world, and gathers them together. And it is here that he builds his kingdom. It is here that he does this glorious work. And so our ecclesiology, our understanding of the church, is critical. If we don't understand the doctrine of the church, then I would suggest we can't really understand the doctrine of Christian marriage. A general idea of marriage is common among mankind. The ordinary or common view sees marriage as a legal contract which comes in handy. It's practical. It brings about a certain order in society. It helps when it comes time to pay your taxes or deal with property or children or divorce or inheritance, any number of kind of pragmatic things that make it helpful and useful for the organization of any society. It's a, again, way of recognizing a legal arrangement and of protecting certain interests. But a Christian marriage goes beyond the ordinary and is intended to be extraordinary. Christian marriage encompasses much more. It is, in fact, a mystic union. The relationship between a husband and a wife is comparable, the Bible says, to the relationship between the church and Christ. Paul says in verse 32 This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so there is a vital and organic union between believers in Christ, the church and his bride, and he is her head. It's one life. Not two. The two have become one. A head and a body. A head without a body is of not much use. And a body without a head is of no use. And he goes on to say in verse 23 of the husband, like Christ, he is the savior of the body. We typically think of the word Savior in a limited and more technical sense, but Paul is using it, I think here, in a broader sense. What is meant here is that he is a preserver, a provider. He looks after and he cares for his bride. Paul goes on to argue, for example, in chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. And so just as a man looks after his own body, he acts as a savior in doing so. He, he, he also, it says also that the husband ought to treat his own, his own wife the way he treats his own flesh. Takes care of her. He is also her savior. Likewise, the wife is the one who is provided for and protected. That is the relationship. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church, and the husband nourishes and cherishes his wife. And the husband is the savior of the body, and the the wife should always act in light of this fact. Now some say, but I know some husbands who don't provide or protect. And I also know some wives who don't want to be provided for. Or protected. They want to do it for themselves. But I say that kind of a statement makes them, uh, excuse me, and I say, yes, those things are frequently true, but neither of those opinions are Christian views. But they say that kind of statement makes them feel bad, or it makes them angry. And I say, yes, I know it does. But that doesn't make it untrue. There are many things that God says that make men and women feel bad or that make them angry. And in fact, that's the problem. We don't like what God has to say to us. We want to do it our way. Pastor Douglas Wilson has written a lot on this subject. I'm going to cite him a couple of times today. But he says this, The Apostle Peter requires Christian women to be subordinate to their husbands, 1 Peter 3.1. Christian wives are told to subject themselves to their husbands, Ephesians 5.22. Older Christian women are to teach the younger wives how to be obedient to their husbands, Titus 2.5. These are the words of God. As long as anyone is foolish enough to want to smash the patriarchy, passages such as these will be at the very center of what it is they want to smash. No sense in backing away from them And those who do back away from them are are, are saddling away from Jesus. What is the relationship of the body to the head? The church to Christ. The wife to the husband. Consider what Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 teach. The wife is to the husband what the body is to the head and what the church is to Christ. She is his complement. The Bible says that the essential thing about Christian marriage is wholeness and completeness. Adam was incomplete. And then God brought a helper suitable for him. Jay Adams describes this as, he said, if you took a grapefruit or an orange and you cut a zigzag through it and you had the two halves and you brought them together, and they correspond, they fit to make the whole. And that's the picture here of the husband and the wife being brought together. And so this is what is essential. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him, someone that fits. Now isn't this what we think of when we think of the body as a whole? Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, it is an organic, vital unity, it is one, it is whole. Now that is the very idea we have here. The husband and the wife are not separate. They are not like two kingdoms which have diplomatic relations, but are always in a state of tension and always in danger of a quarrel. That is quite the opposite of the Christian concept of what marriage really is. Christ and the church are one as the body and the head are one but this ideal allows for differing functions and that is what we are to and that is what we are to grasp differing functions differing purposes special duties that only each part can perform but it is vital that we should remember that each part is a part of the whole and that all of the separate actions are part of a unified action which leads to a corporate result. So what can we learn from about the wife's relationship to her husband as it pertains to this question of submission? Well, it certainly does not teach a passive timidity. I know some of you are relieved to hear that. And I think I heard a few amens quietly being uh, murmured. The Bible nowhere teaches that a wife should never speak or give her opinion. It does mean that a Christian woman will love to please her husband, to be useful to him, to help him, to aid him, to enable him to function as God has called him to function. It means that the wife doesn't operate independently from her husband. The analogy of the head and the body will not allow for that. Try to imagine your body operating, try to imagine your body operating independently from your head. There must be coordination between the two. And so if your body begins to operate apart from its head, what do we say? We say that person's having a seizure. They're out of control. And so we say something's wrong. Likewise, the body must not delay action. Think of perhaps someone who's had a stroke and their, their mind is telling them to speak or to move, but they can't. The body's not responding. It's delaying in its response. Something's wrong when that happens. Submission involves the idea that she doesn't act before her husband, nor does she delay or hinder his action The teaching of Scripture is that the initiative and the leadership should ultimately come from the husband, but the joint actions must always be coordinated. Again, Lloyd-Jones illustrates this, uh, being English or Welsh, actually, uh, with a rugby team, or what he calls football. Though they are all playing individually and all have ability, they start off by saying that there is only one man who is the captain. Each says, I'm not a captain, I'm not captain, I am submitting myself to the captain. That is marvelous, that is the team spirit, each player is going to obey the captain. But you must not say that with regard to marriage, they say. That is derogatory to women, that is old-fashioned, that is Paul, that is the hard Pharisee, that is legalistic, that is the Old Testament. To emphasize the point, though, the text I like how the Bible does this frequently. It says something that's upsetting, and then it comes back and says something even more upsetting, to just just in case you missed the point. What does it say? Let the wives be to their own husband. Let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Ooh, point exclamation point here. There doesn't seem to be a lot of wiggle room here, and the Bible has the audacity to not even apologize for such an outlandish statement. I know that some of you are thinking, but what if my husband won't take initiative or lead? What am I supposed to do then? Well, there are some things you can do and a number of things you can't do. You can continue to be a wife that pleases the Lord, and you can't sin. According to Romans 13, we are all subject to the state, And in other cases as well, where we're subject to various other authorities. And we know that there are limitations to all human authorities. The wife's submission to her husband does not require her her to obey immoral commands. And the husband's authority does not empower him to require or force his wife to disobey God. Her first loyalty is to God, and secondly to her husband. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. This principle follows the example of the apostles who, recognizing uh, the necessity of submission to the civil authorities, nevertheless, when the high priest said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intended to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. That's, that's why we take all of Scripture when we read the Bible. We put it all together to understand these principles, where the limitations are. That's what, why wisdom is required. The remedy to many of these situations, according to the Word of God, is a path that will not necessarily be an easy one. There is suffering in the world. That includes yours. And mine. There are hard things. There are hard circumstances. There are unexpected things. You say, well, I was expecting this and I got that. Well, welcome to the world. That's the way it is. And what are you called to do as a Christian? You're called to respond to both the planned and the unplanned things in a godly way. You're not exempt because something happened that you weren't planning on happening. People are going to sin, people are going to disobey your husband or your wife or your children or your neighbor or somebody else is going to disrupt things and what is your obligation? That's the question today. Today we're dealing with wives, we'll soon, like next week, start dealing with husbands. So what is your obligation is to be in whatever place God has put you and make absolutely certain that you're responding to both the planned and the unplanned circumstances in a way that honors Him, in a way that reflects what He wants you to reflect, godliness, maturity, wisdom. However, in the midst of that suffering, there can also be joy. There can be progress made through suffering. In fact, for most of us, if we look at our lives, we say most of our growth occur- occurred after some difficult thing, after some challenge, after something that was very, very hard. We learn perhaps to be patient, or to be humble, or to pray more, or to trust God more, or to bite our tongues more. We learn through adversity. And so some of that adversity is there to help you grow. But how seldom are these instructions taken to heart and earnestly applied. But just think of this, 1 Peter 3, 1-6. through Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Why? So that even if some do not obey the word, so they're sinning, in this case perhaps an unbeliever, but even a Christian husband who's sinning, who's not obeying God, they, the husband, without a word, wife, May be won by the conduct of their wife. When they observe your chaste conduct, conduct accompanied by fear or respect. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on the fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. We are always in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Again, he's addressing wives who are married to unbelieving husbands and saying, Your conduct ought to emulate Sarah here. And it ought to be so respectful and so godly and so gracious, uh, if I can paraphrase, that your husband ought to be saying, wow, that's amazing, that's remarkable, that's attractive. It's more attractive than a nice dress, than fine adornment. Now let me say, I acknowledge, and you know this, there are many hard cases in the world. And yours might be a hard case. This makes having a good community all the more important so that there is godly support at every level. A strong church is critical for a strong marriage. Nevertheless, we, you, may not take matters into our own hands. And thereby make the problem worse. Again, Pastor Wilson wrote, some forms of feminism began as an understandable protest against the misbehavior of men. But because it was just understandable and not biblical, the whole thing rapidly became a blank check, blank check permission for the misbehavior of women. And just as the misbehavior of men could not be effectively rebuked in its time of strength, So, also, misbehavior of women is off limits now. If you rebuke bad behavior in feminists, an easy target, this is immediately translated into an attack on all women. But But this shaping of men and women into political parties is one of the most destructive things we could do, not to mention one of the dumbest. Wisdom and folly deliver their respective invitations to men and women alike. And men and women both head off in opposite directions. In other words, like the old saying, two wrongs don't make a right. The world is full of husbands who are not even coming close to being or doing what God requires of husbands. And as I said, we'll start to address that next Sunday. But when God's word is honored and obeyed, it always results in blessings for our culture and for us as individuals. Dishonor and disobedience bring God's promised curses and miseries. And once we abandon the word of God as the standard, as the corrective to misbehaving husbands, we've thrown out any hope of ever correcting the problem at all. Now it's every man and every woman for themselves. As women seek to be just like men, unfortunately they're becoming just like men. A disobedient husband or a disobedient wife or both don't make for a happy and fruitful home. Moreover, they produce generation after generation of untrained, undisciplined, and frankly, unloved children who will go forth and repeat the process. Exodus 20, 5-6, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. As long as we are focused first on what the so-called other side is doing or not doing, we will never remove the log from our own eyes. Another person's sins never, ever justify mine. The husband's love for wife and the wife's honor for her husband is not optional, nor is it predicated upon the action of their spouse. Men and women alike must submit to God's instruction if they're to know His blessings. This is why single people... This is why who you marry is so, so important. You better have big ears ready to listen to the people who love you and care for you. If you head off on your own, if you follow your heart, you're in trouble. Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Remember, Michael Medved, the movie reviewer, made the observation. He uses the movie, uh, The African Queen, as the benchmark. He says, Every American movie up to The African Queen, the theme was, Do your duty. And every, the theme of every movie since then has virtually been, Follow your heart. Do your duty. Obey God. Listen to His word. Pay attention even when you don't like it, especially when you don't like it. A man should never marry an unlovable woman, and a woman should never marry a man she doesn't first respect. B.M. Palmer offers this old and poetic description of the cooperative relationship between husband and wife. And I read this again, I've used this before, and I read it again, I thought that's pretty flowery and all a little surfy and all that, and I thought, No, it's really lovely. What happens is we live in such a hard world that such images and pictures have made us resistant to be able to perceive and enjoy the way things at least the way things ought to be. He says God never meant the vine to grow like the oak in the forest and sturdy independence, buffeting the storm, but to clasp with its tendrils the support given to it, to twine around that oak itself, covering its limbs with rich foliage and lifting its frail head, sometimes even above the rugged strength by which it is upheld. This is more than a figure of rhetoric. It it admirably depicts the clinging dependence which is constitutional with women, As the vine has a root of its own, which is the source of its life, so so is the wife rooted in the consciousness of her distinct personality. As the vine grows by the power of a life within itself, so does this personality of the wife find expression in the free exercise of her own volitions. Yet as the vine clings to the rude prop by which it is sustained, so does the gentle will of the wife knit to the will of which her own is the counterpart. Were human nature only in its original and normal state, the two would move together without friction or jar by a happy coalescence. But in its fallen state, it must be controlled by positive law, added because of transgression. So the abuses of men and the distortions of feminists have often made men and women enemies rather than partners. Attempts at eliminating distinctions between the roles of men and women have harmed both, both genders because they have disregarded what God has established as the godly means of producing happy and productive homes. No one gains blessings by disobeying God. As I began and last week and this week pointing out we're not enemies, we're on the same team. We're Christians. We all desire to know what God's Word says. What is God? Is God going to create my identity or am I, have I been given a blank slate, a tabula rasa that says go be who you want to be? Who do you feel like being? Define yourself. That's what the world says. That is at the heart and core of what the world is telling everyone now. But we're Christians. We denied ourselves. We're following Jesus. We want to know what he says. He created us. And he created us with a purpose and a place. You know, the, all the problems began when Satan and, the, and a third of the angels did not keep their domain. God put them in a place, and they didn't want to be in that place. They wanted to be in another place. And so God calls us to be in particular places. And is it hard? Yes. Especially because we're sinners and rebellious and prideful, and we want to go against the grain. But part of this submission is learning to submit to the will of God joyfully and to receive the blessings that come When we discover that, sure enough, he knows more about this than I do. He knows what he's talking about, and I don't. And when I do things his way, lo and behold, things begin to happen in a glorious and happy way. The family gets better. The relationships get better. When I do it my way, they start to fall apart. And then I want to blame other people for for them falling apart. It's somebody else's fault. It can't be my fault. But when we all bow before him, things change. And so that's the starting place. And I, I realize the nature of a sermon is that you have to simplify, you have to condense. And I know there are a lot of very particular difficult situations. And again, we're going to try to address some of those as we go forward. But I want to conclude with this today. A quote from Lloyd-Jones again. And this is a, a, a question for wives today, since this sermon is primarily... Here, though it has broader application. And finally, wives, ask yourself this question. Can I honestly go in my present attitude and condition into the presence of the Lord who, in spite of me and my vileness and my sinfulness, came from heaven and went to the cross of Calvary and gave himself and his life for me? If you can face him... All is well. I have nothing to say. But if you feel condemned in his presence about your attitude, about your relationship in any aspect, go and put it right. So that when you go back to him again, it will be with a quiet conscience and an open spirit, and you will be able to rejoice in his holy presence. This is a Christian matter. It is like the relationship of the church to Christ, the body to the head. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we confess that we often find your word to be hard for us, for we are limited in our understanding and perspective, and we have been confused by other voices who are in rebellion against you and your word. The spirit of our age has clouded our minds and hardened our hearts. Moreover, our own selfishness impedes our progress toward godliness. This is true for husbands and wives, but I pray especially today for wives, some of whom are in hard places. Grant them a heart for you and for holiness. May their submission be first to you, so that they might trust and obey in regard to these matters relating to their husbands. And may they become the godly examples and models of what the church should be toward Christ, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Strengthen them and give them joy as they follow you all the days of their lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers, and of the holy angels. For each of us, the beginning of salvation starts with self-denial and submission to Christ and his word. This is never easy, but it is always good. There are many things in life that I don't want to do, but I do. But uh, I need to do them. And when I do them, I'm glad I didn't. We return to this table week after week to regain our focus, to remember our call, to renew covenant with God, following Jesus wherever he leads, and saying to him, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That is the foundation of our calling as Christians in all of our respective roles. And so let us come and eat. Lord our God, teach us to know that grace precedes, accompanies, and follows our salvation, and that it sustains us. From Calvary's cross, wave upon wave of grace reaches us, deals with our sin, washes us clean, renews our hearts, strengthens our wills, and draws out our affection, kindles a flame in our souls, rules throughout our inner man, consecrates our every thought, word, and work and teaches us to know your immeasurable love. How great are our privileges in Christ Jesus. Without Him, we stand far off as strangers and outcasts. In Him, we draw near and touch His kindly scepter. Without Him, we dare not lift up our guilty eyes. In Him, we gaze upon our Father, God and friend. Without Him, we hide our lips in trembling shame. In Him, we open our mouths in petition and praise. Without him, darkness spreads its horrors before us. In him, an eternity of glory, an eternity of glory is our boundless horizon. Without him, all within, within us is terror and dismay. In him, every accusation is changed into joy and peace. Without him, all things external call for our condemnation. In him, they minister to our comfort and are to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Praise be to you for grace and for the unspeakable gift of Jesus. Bless now our Lord's Day, rest, fellowship, and feast. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen.